0: Welcome to the Saving Grace Adventist Church Sermon Podcast. We pray that you will be blessed by the Word of God. I want to speak to you today on the subject lay hold on eternal life. We all want it. And in order for us to receive it all we have to do is to hold on to it because it's available. Am I right? So I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles with me to the book of First Timothy, chapter 6. And I'll begin at verse 12. Well, let's start at verse 11. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. We are unto the word also called and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. I want to read for you from another translation. But thou, O man of God. let, Let me begin again. But you, man of God. And I want you to notice the new word that this uh, translation puts. It says, but you man of God, you must flee from all these things. Not that you may or you should, but you must flee from all these things. Instead, you must pursue righteousness, godliness, faithfulness, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the faith. As in the case, the King James Version says, the good fight of faith. But the accurate Greek translation says, you must fight for the faith. And then, whereas the King James Version says, uh, You, for thou art also called, he says, Fight the good fight of faith, keep holding on. This is the imperfect tense, not the perfect tense as in the case of the King James Version. But as if you have already attained. That's what the King James Version gives you. That you have already attained. But for this translation it's the imperfect tense. Which means that you must keep on holding on. Unto eternal life. And this implies that you have it already. And all you have to do is to keep on holding on to it. To which you were called and about which you gave a good testimony in front of many witnesses. Dear God, today your people have come. They are not at a fast food restaurant. Here they are just grabbing something to run. They have come to be properly fed. So that their lives can be nurtured. And that their commitment will be strong. And their faith will endure. So I ask you now that you will open our hearts to this message. We pray in Jesus' name. In our text, the Apostle Paul, writing to the young preacher, Timothy, uses here three very strong verbs that are very important for our understanding of this message today. And I invite you to take out your pens and paper and at the back of your program, there is an empty space. You're going to need to take some notes. The first verb that he uses, and by the way, a verb is a doing word. Am I right, teacher? That's what my teacher told me when I was in elementary school. And I haven't forgot it. As a matter of fact, my teacher said to me, jump is a doing word. So jump. So we had to jump. And she said, that's right. That's an action word. Am I right? So the first word is flee. All right. What is the first word? Flee. Flee from these things that already says. Now, those who lay hold on eternal life will have to keep on doing three things. And the first one is to flee. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness. And then he gave a list there. Now, the word flee, as is used in the original language, is a primary word, and it is in what we call the imperative mood. The imperative mood of any language is a language that calls for an action on which your life depends. And so here, this primary verb literally or figuratively means to run away from or to escape or to shun. And so the King James Dictionary defines flee this way. is not an animal that you find on your dog. Flee. Okay? All right. It is to do something. It says here, flee to run with rapidity is not just merely to move like a snail. But you you run with rapidity as from danger to attempt to escape, to hasten from danger or expected evil. Now we need to answer some questions here as we look at the word flee as Paul says it. We must flee. So the question is, from what should we flee? Flee these things, he says. Now, elsewhere in the scripture, we are told to flee other things. For instance, we are to flee immorality. Always, Peter says, flee youthful lust, which war against the soul. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. There are times in our Christian life. When the only defense that we have is to flee. You can't stand up and attempt to fight. Because you can't win. You have to get up and run. Run for your life. As Joseph ran away from Potiphar's wife. You have to run. And don't tell yourself. That you can deal with it. You don't have the substance. You don't have the knowledge. You don't have the wisdom. You don't have the material. You don't have the word all. You don't even have the right idea. So flee from youthful lust. Keep away from those things. That have power to allure you away from God. And away from spiritual discipline. Yes, then you're going to flee. First, you're going to, you're going to flee from immorality. Then the second thing you're going to flee from is combativeness. The love of controversy. There are some people, they, they delight in controversy. Some people like to get an argument going. And they would spend their life just arguing, and it's they're it, they're not getting anywhere. And by the way, those of you who witness for Christ never get in an argument with anybody. You will you, if you do that. Oh, you might win the argument, but they might lose a soul for Jesus. Just tell them about the love of Jesus, and that's all right. Amen. Yes. So you must flee this type of combative militant attitude. This is the mark of a false teacher. He always wants to form friction and and uh, and to, to get into clique but you must flee from this. yes. God does not want us. To fight for him. You know there are some people say. I have to fight for God. God doesn't want you to fight for him. Alright. God can fight for himself. But he wants you to fight. But not for him. Here we go. The next thing. Or the third thing that Paul. The, the, the first one is uh, is immorality. The second one is combativeness. The third one is avarice or greed. The love of money. Paul calls it the filthy lucre. The hunger for material gain. The desire to outdo your neighbor. Paul tells Timothy to flee these things. They will only create difficulty In your life. So you're going to flee. These three things. Then Paul says. Though man of God. He was addressing Timothy. And it's good to be called. A man of God. And I I don't want to limit it here. To the male species. Because originally the word man. In the. In the Bible, as it used in many instances, not all the time, is used to mean humankind. And so what he says, though man of God, the man of God represents Christ in his life. The man of God reflects the character of Christ. The man of God lives a righteous life or is a righteous person. The man of God regulates his life according to the dictates of the word of God. And the man of God is delighted to form a relationship with Christ. So here it is, the man of God is representing Christ. He is reflecting the character of Christ. He is a righteous man. He regulates his life. And then he is in a relationship with Christ. And so the man who flees. Is the highest caliber of being. Of person. The fleeing man. Is the man who tries to work out. The divine idea of his life. And to become God-like in his character, in his conduct, and in his conscience. So your character, your conduct, and your conscience must be in line with the, the description, the divine description of what a person ought to be. So you must always be fleeing. In earnest, Paul appeals to the young preacher, Timothy. Flee these things. And so these things, you must run away from them. Flee wanton pleasure. Flee habits of the mind that makes you selfish and self-centered. Flee the pursuit of a career That leaves you with no time or desire to serve God. Flee vulgarity. And and flee profanity. Flee these things. And it may be said. That more havoc. Have been wrought. In church. By people. Who are worldly. In their endeavor, than many other places. So, why should you flee? You must flee because your life depends on it. When should you flee? You must flee immediately, it must be done instantaneously. You don't have to think of it from it look wrong to you and smell wrong. You must flee from it. How should you flee? You should flee with no intention to return. You will not look back. You will not look to the right or to the left. But you will look ahead as you flee. Yes. And so you must flee. Now the second word that Paul uses here in this text. And each of them start with the letter F. The first one is flee. What is the first one? Flee. Flee. The second one is follow. What Paul says follow after. That's what he says follow after. Now, the word follow in this context means to pursue, to go after. It means to go after something with a passion, with a pride, and with a purpose. A passion, a pride. On a purpose. This is indirect contrast. To flee. No, you are following. You are following a path. A prescribed path. You are following a command. You are following a leader. You are following a directive. Follow after. So here. Paul. Gives us. Here. A list. A list of six things which he divides into two groups. Three in one group and three in the other. The first three relate to God and the second three relate to our relationship with one another. So the first one he says, first he says here, you must flee. Towards, all right, you must follow after, that's right. You must follow after righteousness. Follow after what, church? Righteousness. Righteousness is right doing, doing that which is right. Now, it is very important that you follow after righteousness. Paul says, follow after righteousness. You know, some commentators or Bible students. They take this to this righteousness to mean a righteous righteous behavior, saying that you are to try to live a righteous life. Now, that is not altogether wrong, but what I notice here, you, you, you have to follow after righteousness, and you it has to be a part of your behavior. Because when we come to Christ. We are to live a righteous life. Am I right? But this is not what Paul is talking about here. It is not a righteous behavior. That's not what he's talking about. Paul in this context is referring to righteousness as a state of being. Righteousness as a state of being and not just as a behavior. You know why? Because I can pretend to be righteous. And, I, and when I'm in your company, I can behave righteous. But if it is a state of my being, wherever I am, I am righteous. Oh yes. So it's not really an external exhibition of who I am. But the content is, in, is internal. That gets me to know who I am, to whom I belong, and how I must behave. So you must be, first of all, be intrinsically motivated. And hence, it becomes a part of your being. So the heart here and focus of the gospel is this. When you come to know Christ, he gives you his righteousness. Righteousness. So his righteousness is is what makes you up who you are. And as you understand that this is the way that God sees you, you are no longer guilty, no longer trying to please the devil, no longer filled with weaknesses, but here you are righteous. In quality. In kind. It is a part of your being. And God makes you righteous. For he gives you. That quality. Of being. That all Christians Ought to possess. This is what gives. Us a sense. Of security. in In an insecure world. It gives us. A stability in life; hence, you are not fickle. Oh, you are not you are you are not moved by every wind of doctrine. But your life is solid. You are committed. You know where you are going. You know you are who you are following, and your life takes on meaning because you are a child. Of the king. And so, if you're always focusing on your behavior, what people think of my behavior, trying to get a sense of worth because of a right act that you have done, you will end up becoming a legalist, feeling that your behavior is what makes you acceptable before God. Oh, and that is sheer death. Oh, it's not your behavior. It's not what you do that saves you. Not what you do that saves you. And uh, yes, you do you do good works because you are saved. Let me put it the other way. Let me put it the right way. You are saved. By the blood of Jesus Christ. You are saved by Jesus Christ. And it's after that you are saved that you begin to work. You don't work to be saved but you work because you have been saved. Is that clear? Do you understand that church? That's right. Good. So then the next thing that Paul says that you must follow. You must follow after godliness. Godliness and godlikeness is the gold to be reached, and we must strive towards it. Yes, this is the word we have seen so many times already in this letter. Godliness. It means balance wholeness. Oh, what godliness means? Balance wholeness. Spirit led soul, body, and being, being healthy in Christ. These days we see great emphasis on keeping our bodies healthy. That is good. You must keep your body healthy, but also your whole being must be kept healthy. And God is a God. Of holism. You know, when you read through the new testament and especially the writings of Paul, you get that Paul talks about body, souls, and soul, and spirit. A kind of spiritual dichotomy where you are divided into sections. But when you come over to the to the old testament, there is not that dichotomy there, because the the ultimate testament deals with with. with, with Wholesomeness. God wants to make you whole. One being. One person. Oh yes. And not a fragmented individual. So you must be godly. You must be healthy in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, and and young people I want you to understand here. That one of the things that destroy young people nowadays. Is that they want to be known by what they do. Yes, they are doing persons. They want to be known. And so, if they are not accepted by what they do and what they wear. They are nobody. That is so false. Okay, even when you are naked. You are precious to God. As a matter of fact, when we go to the new earth, we're not going to wear any clothes. You spend a lot of money on clothes down here. But when you go to heaven, you're not going to wear any clothes. If if the Bible is correct, if you're going to go back to the Edenic life. Because Adam and Eve, what, what, was the, what kind of clothes did they have on? They didn't have on any clothes. Am I right? Oh, yeah. They only got clothes. They only started putting on clothes when they sinned. And then Eve put on a little piece of fig leaf. And Adam put on a little piece of fig leaf. But now that they were sinful, condition changed. And because condition changed, some things had to change. And then God killed an animal and made clothing for them. God removed the fig leaf garment because the fig leaf garment was an attempt by man to deal with the sin problem. And man can't deal with the sin problem. So God killed an animal where blood flow, life went to indicate that Jesus Christ would come to cover us once and for all with his righteousness. So I'm not going to be putting on any clothes when I go back to Eden. I want to be as Adam and Eve were. So the, the next thing here that you must follow. You must follow after faith. The word faith here is the word fidelity. Or faithfulness. Loyalty to God. Yes. And awareness that you have already committed your life. To to Christ. When you become a Christian, you have decided to follow God, to obey His word, and to walk in His way. That is your basic commitment for the rest of your life. And following Jesus Christ, listen now, you are in it for the long haul. And those of you who are at least You will understand that there are different type of race. You know, there are some folks who are sprint. uh, they, They run sprint race. The Christian race is not a sprint race. Do you hear what I say, church? The Christian race is a marathon. You are in it for the long haul. You are in it for the drag. You are in there Forever. And ever until Jesus comes to make this world right again. So some folks just want to be in it. And you jump out and you come in. And you jump out and you come in. When the water gets hot and deep, you jump out. And then you come back. It can't be. You must know what you want. And stand for what you want. And follow after faith. And so here it is that you are called to follow after faith. Now those are the first three words. Then Paul says here now, at the second set of words, he says, you must follow after love. The word love. Temperance. But I look a little deeper. I look a little deeper because I know I had to talk to you today. And I couldn't talk off the top of my head. So I look a little deeper. And what I see here is the word agape. And there are three words: filio, eros, and agape. He didn't use filio with his brotherly love from the word to get Philadelphia. That's not it. It is not eros from which you get sexual romantic love from. It is not it. He uses the word agape with his understanding, redemptive, creative goodwill for all persons. It is the love that Shakespeare talks about when he says, Love is not love if it alters when it alteration finds, if it bends with the... Remover to remove, an ever-fixed mark that look and tempest, and is never shaken, is that love that keeps you intact, keeps you going. When it gets rough, you're hanging in there for your love, Jesus. When somebody's talking bad and bad mouthing you, you are there because you love Jesus. Yes, and so how many times in Scripture do we have to? Uh, Do we have to change our understanding of certain things because of the the newness of Scripture? Here Paul says to Timothy, Owe no man anything, but to love one another. Love. I am very happy. Church of God. Experiences love today. Here. Is. Here in this very letter. To Timothy. Paul opens with the word. The end of our endeavor. To love. Out of pure heart. And faith. And unfeignedness." We are to love. Not because you want to get. Some people will love you, you know, show it. Well, pretend to love you because of what they can get from you. Oh, and the moment they can't get from you anything, they're gone. Am I right? Yes, yes. When, it, when, the, when the honey runs out, the love runs out. Mm. Now, apart from love here, it says... Second word is patience. What is it? Patience. It says, or this patience here, the word patience here means steadfastness. What it means? Steadfast. You must be steadfast in your commitment. Steadfast in your what? Or you must be steadfast in your consecration. You must be steadfast in your what? Your consecration. You must be steadfast in your call. To righteousness. To follow God. And so. The means. Of endurance here. Is steadfastness. Hanging in there. Refusing to give up. That is one of the most courageous things in life. To be able to hold on in there. Oh yes. Yes. You're not going to give up. You're not going to give in. You know, sometimes in church, people speak discouragingly. Someone says, I have had it. It's enough. I am not going to try anymore. It is amazing how quickly this is picked up by others. And it goes around. I, and then somebody will say, I am too. I have had enough. I can't go on anymore. Oh, and before long, everybody starts to talk discouragement. And then everybody around us is quitting because of discouragement. I'm saying to the church of God today, hold fast. Don't let anyone take your crown. Hold fast. If you give up what you have now, what are you going to give it up for? And if you give it up for something else than what Christ offers, does it worth it? So I say to you, speak positively. Yes. Oh, Talk about the goodness of Christ. Look at where he has brought you from. And. Ask yourself the question. Do I really want to go back? Never look back. No turning back. Now. The final word in the series here. That you must follow. You must follow after meekness, humility. Humility does not mean to be weak or passive. Humility is not weakness. Biblical humility is grounded in the character of God. He sent his son to care for humanity and to care for the needy. You know, I I read a story once. Of uh, of, of two men who were traveling in opposite direction on a road. And they came to a part of the road. And there was a, a hanging bridge. A swinging bridge that was hanging over the river. And it was so narrow that only one person could travel in it. And both men met in the middle. And they were there standing looking at each other to see see who was going to turn back. So you'd have to turn back and then that one would pass. Then you would come in and you would go. And they were there looking at, because there were two strangers. They were there looking at each other as to what to do. And then one man decided that he was going to lie on his belly. And then he asked the other man to walk on his back and go over. And the man was so frightened, he stood there for a long time. Then he walked on the stranger's back, go over. The stranger got up, turned around, shook his hand, went his way, and he went his way. Is this a sign of humility? I'm sure that you wouldn't do that. I'm looking at your face here and you wouldn't do that. You know why? You are too proud to make somebody walk on your back. Yeah? yeah. But I say to you today that the child of God must always wallow in humility. You're not going to be weak, but you're not going to be pompous. And self-centered. But you're going to practice. Humility is gentleness. Is kindness. Yes. Now finally. Finally Paul says. That you must flee. He says you must follow. And then finally he says you must fight. What must you do? Fight. Fight the good fight of what? Faith. And you must what? Lay hold on eternal things where until thou art called and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. Remember your commitment. Remember your, con- your consecration. Remember your connection. You are with Christ. So. The true Christian is called to be a soldier. To be a what? And must behave like one. From the day of your conversion. To the day of your death. You are a soldier. Yes. He is not meant to live a life of religious ease. And in and and uh. Intolerance or the soldier is called to fight. With whom is the soldier fighting? Of course, not. I want to correct something here. As a Christian soldier, you are not fighting against each other. Is that clear, church? Because sometimes, you know, we behave as if uh, you are my enemy. And I am your enemy. And we are locked in a combat. You are not fighting against me. And I I am not fighting against you. You are not my enemy. And I am not supposed to be your enemy. Turn to the next person and say. You are not my enemy. You are not my enemy. Turn to the person next to you and say. You are my friend. You are my friend. So I don't want. I don't know how long I'm going to be here. I'm even not even here one month yet. I don't know how long I'm going to be here. But for the time that I'm here, I don't want to see you fighting against each other. And if you were fighting before I came, you need now to bury the hatchet. Do you hear what I say? I don't want any fighting among yourself in this church. You ought to be fighting, but let me tell you who you're going to fight. Yes. yes. The first thing is that the Christian must fight against the flesh. You must fight against the what? Yes. Now, you are to fight against the flesh, and your foe is a never dying foe unless he gets the victory over you he is not going to give up he wants to defeat you but I want you to understand that no enemy can defeat you if you are on Jesus side yes so you must fight the fight of the flesh and even after your conversion you carries within you the nature of That is prone to evil. And a heart that is weakened. And unstable as water. So you always have to be fighting. That's why the songwriter says. Stand up. Stand up for Jesus. Stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will what? Fail you. You dare not trust your own. That's what he says. Put on the gospel armor and watch unto prayer. Where duty calls our danger be never wanting there. Oh, yes. So the Christian must fight against the flesh. The next thing that he must fight against, he must fight against the world. Oh, the subtle and seducive and seductive influence of the world. The mighty enemy must be daily resisted. And without a daily battle, you cannot overcome. Oh, you must fight against the love of the world's things. The world's fear. The world's slaughter. The world's blame. The secret desire of the world must be fought against. The secret wishes of the world must be fought against. Let me tell you something. One of the things that Satan uses to destroy the church is extreme views. Anything that is extreme is poisonous. If you sleep too much, you will die as a pauper. But sleep is good. Am I right? If you eat too much, well, uh, well I won't go there. But uh, that's right. Even the best of food, you must be temperate in all things. Oh, yes. You want money so you work, but you can't work 24 hours a day. You must find time to rest. It's, you're going to be self-destruct. And there are some folks in the church who have some very extreme views. And if you follow them, you become Confused. You must know what you believe. Know the word of God for yourself. And study the word. Amen. Yes. So all these things we must fight against them. Then the final thing I want you to fight against, you must fight against the devil himself. That old enemy of mankind is not dead. He is still alive. Oh yes. And you know, Churchill, Winston Churchill, that great general from England, who led England in the war, in World War II, in this great victory. This is what he says. He says, in the time of war, this is a wise saying, in the time of war, it is the worst mistake to underestimate your enemy and try To make a little war. You shouldn't be making any small war. You have to make a big war. Listen to me now. This is the reason why you need to make the war. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17. The Bible says. And the dragon was wroth with the woman. And went to make war. With the remnant of her seed. Which keep the commandment of God. And have the testimony of Jesus Christ. You are not fighting any petty war. Or any private war. You are or, or it's not even a personal war. You are fighting the devil. He has over 6,000 years of experience. He must be an experienced man. And so today I want to ask you, do you want eternal life? In order for you to get eternal life, you must keep on fighting. Pastor and people. Preacher and parishioners. Old and young. High and low, rich and poor, gentle and simple, kings and subject, landlords and tenant, learned and unlearned, all alike must carry arms. You have to bear arms. You are called to bear arms it is a fight of perpetual necessity it admits of no breathing time no amnesty no truce and weekdays as well as on sundays and on sabbath and on every day in private as well as in public at home by the family friends and those abroad in little things in management of the tongue of the temper as well as great ones like those are the big ones the christian warfare is necessary and if you're going to survive you have to fight he says Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold and not mundane, perishable, transitory things. Lay hold and eternal things. Are you willing to fight today? Are you going to give in and give up and run away? You know, when I was in school... My teacher used to tell me, he who fights and runs away will live to fight another day. If you run away, you're going to die. You won't have any other day. You have to fight every day. Do you hear what I say, church? You have to fight every day. Every day you are fighting. And take nothing for granted. Are you willing to stand with me in this battle of life. As we fight for for eternal life. If so please stand with me today. There are those of you today who might be wondering. With what is going on in my life. Can I really make it? I'm here to let you know today. That you have Jesus. Jesus. And you have victory. Claim that victory in Jesus today. Oh God and our oh Father. At this time, we just want to thank you for the words of assurance. We are fighting, but we are not alone. We are fighting, On the side of righteousness. Jesus is the master general. He is the one who marshals the troop. He is the one who commands the battalion. He is the one who is in charge. And there is no soldier. That he manages. That loses the victory. Oh Lord, the war is one war. There are several battles in this war. And sometimes it seems as if we are losing the battles. But oh God help us to focus also on the war that will be won. I pray that each battle that is fought will come with victory. So that in the end, the entire war, when it is over, we will find ourselves on the side of victory. Bless those who are here today. and Lord, I ask that if there is someone here today who has not yet surrendered his life to you, who is fighting on the wrong side of the fence, I pray, O oh God, that you will bring that person over so he will stand with you. He will fight alongside you so that you can guarantee victory for that soul. Bless this congregation today. And we ask, Father, that as we go from here, that your blessing will be upon us now and forevermore in Jesus name we pray thank you for listening to today's message we are always encouraged to know how God is working through this ministry to touch lives if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life please let us know by sending an email at podcast at as the Holy Spirit impresses you you may also support this ministry financially by visiting savinggrace.sd8.org.